So if you're joining us on Zoom, welcome. And now is the time to mute your microphone and turn off your camera there. Did, did we pass out papers already where people wanted papers? If you'd like one of the uh, kids' sermon papers, just uh, lift your hand up and we'll uh, have those coming around for you. And you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. I'd like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our, our live stream. It's only one part of our service here at Chelsea Community Church with City Temple. You can be part of the whole thing by dropping us an email, or you can join us in person here at Chelsea Community Church at 11 a.m. on Sundays. We're going to read today from Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the first two verses and then skip down to verse 8 to verse 16. Before we read, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak your word to us today in the power of your Holy Spirit. And let your spirit rest upon me, that I can bring your word to your people boldly and faithfully, honestly and truthfully, in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. <clears throat> By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, then they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. May God bless to us his reading from his holy word. Now, one way to look at the Bible is a story, a story between two cities, Jerusalem and Babylon, and the unfolding of the relationship between those two great cities, which will reach its climax at the end of time, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in this scenario, Jerusalem also re represents Israel. They can be used interchangeably a bit. 
but it's the tale of Babylon versus Israel and which will prevail. Because history in this biblical kind of perspective is a struggle between Jerusalem or Israel and Babylon. And in fact, if you look at London, the history of London can be seen as a struggle between whether London will be Jerusalem or London will be Babylon. In fact, many, many articles over the years, essays have been written about this struggle. Jerusalem, uh, London as Jerusalem, or London as Babylon. We can even see this unfolding today. In one sense, London is a, a feel of Jerusalem in the sense that it's the most Christian part of the UK. There's a higher percentage of converted people in London there than there are in the remainder of the UK, largely due to the immigrant population, but it's true. Uh, London is the headquarters of many denominations, uh, including the Anglican Church, the United Reformed Church, uh, the Baptist, you could go on and on and on for that. Uh, London is the headquarters of the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, we saw the coronation unfold in London just a few weeks ago, and it was just amazing how Christian the coronation was. And so we see these Jerusalem-Israel kind of dynamics playing out. But at the same time, London is very much like Babylon. It's at the forefront of the promotion of alternative lifestyles. You have many, many alternative religions. Now, based on London, you might think that uh, Muslims were a large majority or, or a large minority of the UK population, but they're not really. But in London, they are. Uh, the worship of mammon is very big, obviously, especially in the city of London. We have the rise of murder and even theft, sometimes legalized theft through some forms of taxation. And, and you could go on and on and on. It's this conflict between Jerusalem and Babylon playing out in our city. And you have to say, as you see this playing out around the world, Babylon seems to be in the ascendancy. It certainly is here in London, uh, and many other cities in the world have become more and more like Babylon and less and less like in Israel, but the battle is still raging, especially over key cities like London. We're in a major battle, a major struggle of whether London will be Babylon or London will be Jerusalem or Israel, but Babylon is winning. And I see this playing out on the Isle of Lewis. It's a great example of this. Well, not a great example. And it's a sad example of this. I remember when we started going up to the Isle of Lewis in 2004, one of the things I loved about Lewis was how Christianity just permeated everything. They had very strict Sabbath rules so that on Sundays, you know, people took the day off. No shops were open. There was no shopping. And even non-Christians were saying how wonderful it was to have the Sabbath like that. You didn't do housework. You didn't do yard work. It was a time to rest, to have fellowship, to rejoice with your family, and to worship the Lord. And, uh, and it was really, really solid. In fact, I think one of the reasons I fell in love with it 
initially is because it reminded me of that, of that time. It harkened back to that time. But in less than a generation, Lewis has gone from Israel to Babylon. Now there's a radical increase of alternative lifestyles. It really changed a lot when uh, uh, Caledonian McBrain started to do a fair, Sunday ferry crossing. And there was even an unusual tornado that hit the island the same, around the same time as they started the Sunday ferry crossing. Talk about signs. And in a very, very quick, point, uh, quick period of time, less than a generation, the church has been weakened, uh, perceptibly weakened on the island. All of the churches are starting to struggle. All of the churches have decreased and the amount of worldliness and sin and struggle and crime and drug use has increased exponentially in a very short period of time. We're seeing this unfold, this transition from Israel to Babylon unfold all around us in the West, particularly in the United States, the United Kingdom, Canada. And our challenge right now, our great challenge is living in Babylon without becoming sucked into Babylon. It's living in Babylon without losing our identity in Christ Jesus as the children of God. It's living in Babylon without losing our children, both our physical children and our spiritual children. It's living in Babylon without shrinking back without retreating, without giving in, without giving up, but saying, no, we will stand strong for the Lord Jesus, even if it's in Babylon and no longer in Israel. Because ultimately, the Bible's promise is that Jerusalem triumphs over Babylon through Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this whole series the next uh, about 12 weeks or so, we're going to be dealing with this. Uh, how do we live in Babylon? How do we live fruitfully and faithfully in a world that has changed radically and now perceptively and more rapidly than any of us ever thought possible? But please note, it has changed. We are no longer living in Israel. We are living in Babylon. And we need to know how do we do this and not only survive, but thrive because I believe that that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to see good and do good and flourish even in Babylon. Now today, when we read this passage in Hebrews, the, the example of faith of Abraham and Sarah shows us a lot about how we might live in Babylon. I want to go verse by verse and look at different things that the Lord would say to us. Starting with verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I felt that a little bit on Friday when I was coming down and following the satnav as a satnav took me in places that I really didn't want to go. 
You know, sometimes it's a scary proposition. But here, the key is that Abraham obeyed God. Now, don't, don't be deceived. Abraham probably was as terrified as anyone would be of leaving his homeland, leaving the place of comfort, leaving the place of familiarity, and going into a strange land simply by the command of God and having no idea what's up ahead, but choosing to obey God when it would have been much easier to stay home. And we must live, if we're in Babylon, we have to live in obedience to God. Just like I was telling the kids earlier. If we don't live in obedience to God, it's easy to be deceived by the lights of Babylon. It's easy to be deceived by what you think you perceive. But your perceptions are not always based in truth. And so we must live in obedience to the Lord. And also we must live in obedience to the Lord with the understanding that many times we're not going to be knowing where we're going. I love how that rhymes. It's fun to say. You can try it. Say, I don't know where, uh, no, I don't, I'm not knowing where I'm going. Say something like that. Try it. Try it. It's just fun. It's fun. Okay, anyway. You know, and we just have to understand. I don't know the outcomes of everything. And I can say that pretty confidently for the last 34 years of 35 years of ministry. I haven't known the outcomes. I've just sought to obey the Lord and trust the Lord. And sometimes we've gone through some very difficult seasons, but the Lord's always brought us through. So we have to live in obedience. And then the writer to the Hebrews goes on and says, By faith Abraham went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now we are living now in a foreign land. This Babylon that we're now living in is going to seem very, very unfamiliar. It's a land we don't know that has customs we don't understand. And we're here in temporary accommodation. You understand, this is not our permanent dwelling. Eventually we die and we go somewhere. If you're in Christ, you go to be in heaven. If you're not, there are other options that you don't want to think about. That's one of those you don't want to know where you go. So you want to know that you're going to heaven. And we need to understand that our life here is temporary. It's not permanent. We're living in tents. We don't know where God has us, and we don't know where God's going to take us. That's why we have to trust Him, and that's why we have to follow Him. But we do know that we are living in a land of promise. God's called us here and given us a promise that we can flourish even in Babylon. God's placed us here for a purpose. You're not here by an accident. You're not here just waiting to go someplace else. You need to understand that where God has placed you, where God has called you, is always a place of promise. It's always a place of promise. And the challenge is to live in obedience to the Lord until we see the promise unfold. And we need to understand as well is that when we're in this strange land, we're not really alone because we're in community. For us, it's called church. 
And we're with our fellow heirs, in this case, in Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham was with his fellow heirs, we are with our fellow heirs, but our fellow heirs are heirs in Christ, and we have an eternal promise in Jesus Christ. You can't go it alone in Babylon. If you try to do it on your own, you will fail. You need the community. And then the writer goes on. For Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And that's true. As we're living in Babylon, what we're looking forward to is a city with foundations. The new Jerusalem, a place of joy, a place of hope, a place of promise, a place that's designed and built by God and is the future home for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. You know, I read a lot of people that, I, that I've seen or heard or read over the years, a lot of leaders, they talk to getting back to Eden. You know, I don't want to go back to the Garden of Eden. I want to go forward to the New Jerusalem. I want to experience the promise of the New Jerusalem where there's no more sickness or mourning or crying or pain, where we don't need light because Jesus is so bright that he brightens up everywhere, where we have complete transparency with one another, but we live unashamed, where we fulfill our purpose perfectly in Christ Jesus. That's where I'm going. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's the kind of thing that Abraham was looking forward to. And the promise of our future home gives us hope in the present. I don't live for Babylon. I'm living toward the new Jerusalem. And so I have hope. Doesn't matter how dark it seems. Doesn't matter how big Babylon seems to be or how much Babylon seems to prevail. I know who wins in the end. And I know his plan because he told me what it was. It's a bit like us at City Temple meeting here at Chelsea Community Church. You know, we look around this little building that we're in. This is not our future home. It's not what God has planned for us, but what's been planned is being prepared now. But that doesn't mean that we can disrespect where we're living now or diminish where we're living now. We have to live here to the fullest as we await what God has prepared for us. And then the writer goes on. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. I believe here in Babylon that we are being given power to conceive and bear spiritual children so that our descendants will be innumerable. You know, Abraham had one Isaac, one son of the promise, but through the one son of the promise, we're all saved. And it might look like the church is declining. It might look like we're getting older. It might look like we're decreasing. It might look like we're failing. It might look like we're falling. It might look like we're old and creaky and about to fall apart. Or maybe I do. I don't know. It might look this way, but it's not this way. We're going to have descendants. We're going to have spiritual kids. Our kids are going to have kids. There's a move coming of the 20-somethings 
in this land and throughout the West that's going to radically shift a lot of things. It won't shift Babylon, by the way, but it's going to shift a lot of other things. And we're going to see tremendous miracles. And these are going to be our kids and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren until Jesus comes again. I can see the descendants, just like Sarah and Abraham saw the descendants. The church might seem as good as dead, but it's going to produce many descendants. Chelsea Community Church seemed like it was totally dead. And now look, it's pretty full. City Temple at many times has seemed almost dead. But it's like, uh, you know, like, like, no, I won't go into that. I have to explain it too much. It's a Monty Python illusion. Uh, ask me later. Ask me later. But God is keeping us going. He is in control. We have to trust God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. And the writer continues, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You know, in this life, you might not receive everything promised. But we can see it coming. You know, it, I would love to see Chelsea full, you know, three Sundays, uh, three worship services a Sunday, see City Temple full, you know, three service, four services a Sunday, see dozens of churches planted. I think that that's within us. I think that's part of God's promise. But you know what? If it doesn't happen in my lifetime, I'm okay with that as long as it happens. Because that's what I'm looking for. And that's the promise I'm living into. It might not be a promise for me and my generation, but it is a promise for people like Ben's generation. I'm living into that. I see it. We may not receive everything in this life, but we can certainly see it coming. And we need to remember we are always strangers and exiles on this earth. There's never a time when you're not a stranger in exile, if you're walking with the Lord. You know, in a sense, we've always lived in Babylon. But our temptation is always to make Babylon our home. And Babylon is not your permanent home. Even if you die in Babylon, it's not your permanent home. We are seeking, we are longing for, looking for a homeland. But understand, you're not going to find that homeland on the earth. You won't find it on the earth. I remember driving down on Friday and encountering so many roadworks and so many uh, traffic problems. And then the sat-nav went wonky on at least two occasions and took us in crazy, crazy ways. And I was so frustrated and I was so angry. You know, you, you get in those moments, you're tempted to say, I just, I hate my life. I hate where I am. You know, I just need to run away. You know, I just need to... Maybe you've never felt that way. But I felt that way. And uh, and it just had to remind myself, this, this is not my home. You know, in a very real sense, this is not where I'm from originally. But you know what? The United States is not my home. Scotland's not my home. London's not my home. I have a homeland that I'm going to inherit in the future 
in the New Jerusalem, that's really my home. And that's what I'm looking for. And sometimes we're going to feel completely dislocated. We don't belong anywhere. And when you feel that way, thank God, because you know you belong with Jesus. And we know we belong to one another in Jesus Christ. He goes on, he says, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. This is a reminder, we have to keep our faith centered on God and his faithfulness. The temptation is always to spend time reminiscing about the past or reminiscing about some imagined city where we came from. I've seen this happen a lot of times with Americans that move to the UK. They start thinking, oh, well, life was so much easier in the United States, and oh, the people were nicer, or, you know, whatever, you know. And it just annoys the heck out of me. That's why we don't usually allow Americans to come to our church. Because <laughs> they're just so annoying, you know. They're just terribly irritating on that. And frankly, you know, I just want to say, if you want to be like that, go back to the United States. You got the passport. Just leave out, get away from here because you're annoying me. You know? And uh, that happens on the island too. People move to Lewis from the mainland. And then they start complaining, oh, the shops aren't open on Sunday. There's nothing to do. And I'm like, well, if you want to go somewhere where the shops are open on Sunday, get off the island. So it's a frustrating kind of thing. But it's the temptation. I had an elder in my first church who used to say, those people who always talk about the good old days don't remember them very well. You know, he'd say, I like having a refrigerator. I like having a washing machine. He lived in the time before those things were invented. You know, so uh, it's that kind of thing. So we have to be very, very careful about looking at the past or coming up with some idealistic notion, you know, like, like for me. You know, everybody knows I love Lewis. I love going to Lewis. But, you know, if I had an idealistic notion about how perfect life on Lewis would be, you know what it would do? It would undermine my commitment to be here. But I don't. I want to be here. I want to be where God wants me to be. I love visiting, but that's not where God's placed me. And so I want to love where God's placed me. And that's the key that we have to do. We, not, we have to not try to return to the past or to the place of our imagination, but continue to move forward. Final verse here. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. You know, we are homesick. We're longing for a better country. At least I am. And I think almost every Christian that I've ever met is longing, has a, a sense. It's got to, there's something more than this. There's something better than this. There's something that God has placed in my heart that I'm longing for, that I'm desiring. And the saddest thing in the world is to see a Christian try to fulfill that desire by something in this world. If you have the longing, like I do, the longing that you have, the homesickness that you have is for a country that you've not yet seen, a city called the New Jerusalem that you've not let, yet lived in. So don't settle in this world and certainly don't settle for anything less than that New Jerusalem. And understand, God, as you live here, God is not ashamed of you. No matter how badly you've done, 
no matter how much you've messed up, no matter how many times you've failed, God is not ashamed of you as long as you're looking for that new country and longing for that, that future that he's prepared for us. And we need to understand as we live in this world, God has prepared for us this city that's called the glorious new Jerusalem. So some insights. Based on this passage, just a few insights in how we need to live faithfully in London. Faithfully and full of faith. Faithfully. We must look forward, not backward. We must look at what is ahead and not what is behind. You cannot long for some idealized past, a time where, oh, things seemed really good to be a Christian, and it was easy to be a Christian, but we need to move into the future that God has for us. You know, I fell in love initially, as I mentioned, because it reminded me of the past. It reminded me of life in Israel. It reminded me of a place where ministers were respected and the churches were centers of community, not sidelines in the community. It was something that was precious and wonderful, but it's something, as I mentioned, that is complete, completely gone. You know, we can celebrate the good of the past, give God thanks for it, that's okay, but we cannot live in it we need to live forward into the future. A second, second encouragement. If you are not heavenly minded, you'll be no earthly good. Now, when I was growing up, there was a saying that you might, you might have heard, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. You know, that's a lie from hell. It's a lie from hell. The people who have accomplished great things throughout history for the kingdom of God and in many other in many other fields like medicine and education many of them were focused on heaven they were so heavenly minded that it motivated them to do something here on the earth you will not survive babylon if you focus on babylon you need to be heavenly minded you need to be heavenly minded to make a difference and keep that focus on our hope that's in the future. We also need to remember a third thing. We are not living and serving Jesus for ourselves, but for the generations that are to come. We're not here today for ourselves. It might be a little bit, but actually, I'm passionate about the generations that are to come. I want to see your children and your grandchildren flourish in Jesus Christ because of what we do here. We're building a new city temple, not because we want to have a bigger building for ourselves, but because we want to build a barn that the Lord can fill in the future with the harvest. Because the harvest is white, but the laborers are few and the barns are small. And we want to see that grow. It's not for us it's not for us. It's for the generations that are to come. The new future of Chelsea Community Church is not to recapture the past of the church, but it's to make a difference going forward for the generations to come. You know, when we look at 19, the 1958 City Temple building, 
One thing I can tell you. The building was obsolete within less than 10 years. So by 1965, the building was obsolete. And it was obsolete because they built it for 1958. They looked at 1958, or about 55 when they started, and they said, oh, what kind of church do we need right now? What's the cutting edge right now? And they built it with that in mind, not with the future in mind. And it was obsolete within seven years of completion. So we're looking to the future, not to the past. And finally, living by faith is the key to living fruitfully and faithfully in Babylon. As the writer says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Right now, we don't see the new Jerusalem. And you know what? Even if we could try to make London into Jerusalem, it will never be. We can never do it. And so we are seeing this new Jerusalem based on the promises of God by faith. It's a picture in our minds that God has given us in fulfillment of His promises to us. <laughs> and we cannot live in Babylon based on what we see. <laughs> Excuse me. Because what we see may often seem quite bleak and quite dark. Our Christian faith is where we choose to trust and then to act based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways as revealed in the Bible in relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith, you know, this faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not, of things not seen, this is not pie-in-the-sky thinking. This is not, I think, therefore it is kind of thinking. This is not positive thinking. It's saying, you know, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to act on the basis of my trust in you because I know that you are a good God who is faithful, who does not lie, who is sovereign, who's in control, who is unchanging, who is all present, who is all knowing, who is all wise, who is all loving. And I have confidence that this God will not lie to me or deceive me. And so I choose to trust you, God, and I'm going to act because based on this thing that you promised me, but I don't fully see, but I don't care because I'm going to go. I'll leave my homeland. I'll go wherever you call me to. I'll press into the future because I know you're a God who will fulfill your promises. And every day in Babylon, we live by God's grace through faith, just as we're saved by God's grace through faith. And every day in Babylon, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit by faith, just as we were saved by the power of the Holy Spirit in faith. And we need to understand this and embrace this for our life here. One of the phrases that has really started to irritate me in, uh, in modern uh, song lyrics and uh, advertisement and other things like that, whenever I hear it, drives me bananas. It's, I was made for more than this. I was made for more than this. You know, and I've heard it used in so many ways. 
And most of the time when I've heard it used, it's probably why it irritates me, it's used to shirk your responsibility. You know, to cast off your job, your responsibilities to your family, <clears throat> cast off your relationships, and live in worldly, worldliness. But you know, in a sense, we were made for more than this world. It's absolutely true. We were made for more than this world, more than this life. We were made for a better heavenly country, for a glorious new Jerusalem where we will live in freedom and fullness of joy. That's what we've been made for, and that's what we've been saved for in Christ Jesus. And that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're longing for. And through faith in Jesus Christ, God has prepared for us this thing that we were made for, more than this world, more than this life. And Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that through faith in Jesus, we, our sins might be forgiven and we might be united with him and we might have this glorious hope, this glorious future, the hope of Jerusalem's ultimate victory over Babylon. So the challenge for us as we're living in Babylon is, as the writer would go on to say in chapter 12, and as we said at the beginning of the service, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because Jesus will lead us home. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have given us such promise, such hope, not only for the future, but also for our present in you. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would teach us every day how to live in Babylon fruitfully and faithfully as your followers, as sons of God, as the bride of Christ, as your church. We love you and we praise you. And Lord, as we come to this table, we thank you that our faith in you is grounded in reality. That you gave us this bread and this cup so that for us, they would be concrete reminders of your promises. So that they would be concrete reminders of our union with you and with one another. So that they would be concrete reminders that we have been saved by grace through faith. And even this faith was a gift, so we cannot boast. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for dying on the cross. We thank you for rising from the dead. We thank you for allowing your blood to be shed and your body to be broken on that cross so that we could have new life, so that we could have hope and a promise of the better future in the new Jerusalem. We thank you that you saw us and you had mercy on us and compassion on us and called us to yourself and enabled us to respond so that we could be your people because you loved us and you cherished us. And we thank you that we can celebrate all that you've done for us as we eat the bread and we drink the cup. I pray, Lord God, that you bless these things and use them 
Use them to strengthen our faith. May they be to us truly your body and your blood, broken and shed for us. Use us to ground us in you. Even as we live in Babylon, so that we'll always look forward to the new Jerusalem until that day that you call us there. We love you. We praise you. We worship you and adore you. And pray all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.